Haggai chapter 2. I hope you're there. Haggai chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Two weeks ago, if you can remember back two weeks ago, two Wednesdays ago, we began a series called Priorities, revealing what you value most. Because I think my assumption is, based on the culture that I live in with you, is often it's easy to get our priorities all out of whack. Often it's even easy to think that we're putting God first when in reality God wants to rule the list of our priorities. So it's more than he's on the list, God wants to rule over the list. So we looked at Haggai chapter one, looking at how do we prioritize the purposes of God as people who follow God? How do we prioritize the purposes of God? As we transition today, we'll look at answering this question, how do we continue to prioritize the purposes of God? How do we stay motivated to, uh, mo- to prioritize the purposes of God? And i help you out with this. In December of 2017, my wife trained for and completed a half marathon. Pretty incredible. Those of you keeping score at home, that's 13.2 miles running, uh, at least moving. And if you're like 13.2 miles, whatever, I could wake up and run that. Well, then whatever. And for some of you, you're like, that's more than I've ran total in my entire life. So that's cool. Uh, so she did it. Like, get it. She has like the award thing uh, that you get for doing that. Uh, it's somewhere in her car, which is hilarious to me. Uh, but she trained for and completed. She's had this goal and she got it done. But as you can imagine, the training leading up to that, there were moments where she was discouraged and she was not motivated to go and run. Because if you know anything about marathon training, the closer you get to the marathon, the longer the runs get. So she's rolling out on a Friday or a Saturday and like, I have to run 10 miles today and there's no medal at the end. So this is awesome. That's just like, that's part of the deal. It's part of the training. So obviously there were moments where she was discouraged. She was not motivated, but she did it anyway. And the the question is, how did you like get over, fight through the discouragement? How did you get motivated to, by your own will, choose to, on a weekend of all things, with no medal at the end, run 10 miles for like fun? And the answer is two things. One brought a friend with it because nothing's but misery loves company everyone and if you're going to suffer you better suffer with someone else because it's like yo if this is awful for me i bet it's awful for you too and if i die at least you can pull my lifeless body to wherever i need to go she brought somebody with her that presence of that friend motivated her to keep showing up keep training keep pushing keep going second the day of the race She's motivated to keep going because she knew the promise of the finish line. There's going to come a time where no matter how many times my legs cramp, no matter how many times I want to think in my head, I got to quit this thing, no matter how many times I have to stop and walk, there will come a time, it might be 16 hours from now, but there will come a time where I cross the finish line and this thing is over and I can roll over and say, okay, drag me to the car. This is over. That day will come. That moment will come. Presence of a friend, presence motivates and discouragement. And promise of what's at the end motivates and discouragement. How do I tell you this? Because that's where we're going to find ourselves here in Haggai chapter 2. A discouraged people trying to pursue the purposes of God have to figure out how do we fight through this 
really they hear from God about how they figure it out. They don't even ask the question, but God gives them the answer. And the answer, if we can just put it on the table now, is you fight through the discouragement to pursue the purposes of God with the presence of God and the promises of God. So the question before us today, how do we stay motivated to prioritize the purposes of God when the outcome of prioritizing the purposes of God doesn't look like we want it to or thought it would? How do we stay motivated to keep doing what God desires even when the outcome isn't what we thought it would be, isn't what we wanted it to be? So Haggai chapter 2, starting in verse 1, I'll read through verse 9. We'll answer that question. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. For according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all, the, all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine declares the Lord of hosts, the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. So what's the problem? We've got to pull back a little bit. Haggai chapter one, the prophet Haggai comes and speaks the words of God to the people of Jerusalem who have just recently come back to Jerusalem from being in exile. They were in Babylonian exile. The Persians take over, send them back. Like, yo, you can go back to Jerusalem. That's totally fine. So they get to Jerusalem. You know what they find? The city has been destroyed because of the Babylonians. So it's destroyed. Houses are in disarray. The temple is in disarray. It's bad news. So what the people do is start building their own houses and neglect the temple of God. They neglect the house of God for their own houses. They prioritize self over God. And so the prophet Haggai shows up and says, you need to think about what you're doing. You need to consider your ways. And really, in so many words, he's saying to them, your priorities are so out of whack right now. You have neglected the house of God for your own houses. You're missing it. And so towards the end of chapter one, they repent. And they begin to build the temple of God. They begin to rebuild the house of God. And now we find ourselves in chapter two, about a month into the building project. There's some people that are starting to get discouraged. Look at verse three. Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? This is what, this is what the prophet asked. This is really what God is asking the people. Hey, who was around when the temple that Solomon built was here? So obviously it's a bunch of old people, right? Because that was like 60 to 70 years prior. So a bunch of old people were like, yeah, yeah, we were around. We remember it was awesome. It was incredible. And so the next question is, how do you see this temple now? Is it as nothing to you? The question is being asked knowing the answer. The people that are working on rebuilding the temple, remembering the former temple, are discouraged. Because this isn't as good as the old temple. It's not as glorious as the old temple. It'll never be the old temple. And so we're having a hard time 
continuing to pursue the purposes of God, staying motivated to pursue the purposes of God, because what we think in our heads is it doesn't compare. So why even try? Why even try? This is the problem that God through Haggai is addressing with these people. So what are the reasons that these people and we find ourselves losing motivation to prioritize the purposes of God? What are the things that take away our motivation to stick with what God has purposed for us? What are the things that just take us into discouragement when we are on the road to pursuing what God desires? What are those things? Well, the first one we see in verse three is comparison. Comparison. And in the first category of comparison, it's comparison to the past. These people think it's this temple. It's not as good as Solomon. So why even try? Why even try? Now for you, Maybe God has called you to something certain, right? You don't have to think like God's called me to build a temple or God's called me to preach or God's called me to, whatever it is that God has called you to, to live holy before him, to share the gospel with people. You, you name it, God, there's so many categories of what God has called us to do. You find yourself thinking, I'm not sure that I'll be able to do it like it used to be done. I remember so-and-so three years ago doing the same thing that I'm doing now, and I probably won't do it as good as them, and it probably won't be as good as it was three years ago, so I probably just won't do it at all. Maybe you think this about the way that we do church today. Maybe you even think this about some of the events that you've experienced here. I really didn't like filling the blank this year. It wasn't as good as two years ago. Remember two years ago? Man, it was awesome. The reality is, if we were pursuing the purposes of God, Back then, you're pursuing the purposes of God now. It's just as good both times. Because it has little to do with the quality of the event. Everything to do with whether or not we're pursuing God's purposes. We ought not find ourselves comparing to the past, thinking this will never be as good. It will be just as good. It will just look different. The purposes are the same. The details look different. Second way we compare, you don't find in the text, but I think this is true for us. It's true for me. And this, this, this discourages us. This causes our motivation for the purposes of God to go away. We don't just compare to the past. We compare to other godly people. We think in our heads, I'll never be what they are. I'll never be as bold as they are. I'll never be as outgoing as they are. I'll never be as kind as they are. I'll never be able to sing like she does. I'll never be able to talk like he does. I'll never be able to be as hospitable as she is. I'll never be able to fill in the blank as that person is. So why should I even try? We're we're discouraged to pursue God's purposes for us. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, speaking of the body of Christ. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So Paul uses this illustration in 1 Corinthians 12 to talk about the body of Christ and says, look, if you're in here and you're a foot and you're saying, I'm not a hand, and I don't even, I don't think I'm as good. You can't compare 
You can compare your role in the body of Christ and think that you're not necessary because in order for the body of Christ to function as it should optimally, we are all necessary. Be discouraged in God's purposes for us. So when you get discouraged of God's purposes for you by comparing to other godly people, really what you're saying is, God, I don't like the role that you gave me. And God knows best. And your role may not be on stage and it might not be in the spotlight ever. But your role is just as necessary because the body needs the body can't function right without your role. But maybe we don't compare to other godly people. Maybe we find discouragement to pursue God's purposes because you're comparing yourself to ungodly people. Maybe you're the Christian that's trying to live right before God and you're looking at other people that aren't Christians and seeing their life go better than yours and you're frustrated because of it. You say things like, God, I'm trying to honor you. I'm trying to do what you want. I'm trying to go your way. And it's not going as good as it is for that person. And I know that person. They don't care about who you are. They have expressed that to me. And it just seems like their life is going better than mine. God, I don't find that. If you've ever been there, because the psalmist this guy named Asaph writes this psalm in Psalm 73. He says this, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, check this out, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. It's bad for him at this point. Verse three, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. What's the problem? He is looking on the people that aren't godly people. And what does he say? I'm envious of them. I'm looking on their prosperity and I'm thinking my life's not as good as theirs. This isn't fair, God. I'm one of your people. For they, speaking of the wicked, they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongues struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there, no, is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches, all in vain. But I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long, I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. What do you find at the end of that Psalm? He expresses frustration. It seems like everything goes right for these people that don't follow God. God, I have followed you and you know what I've gotten? Suffering. We have been there before. It will quickly cause discouragement. You might is it really worth prioritizing God's purposes in my life? This is what I'm going to do. It's not going to go well for me. Why should I prioritize God's purposes? The second reason we find discouragement for pursuing God's purposes is a lack of response to our effort. The first one is comparison. The second one is lack of response to our effort. We put forth all this effort. We live God's way. We share the gospel over and over and over again with somebody that we care deeply about, with people that we care deeply about. We want them to know Jesus so bad. We've begged God to give salvation. We've shared the gospel clearly with them multiple times. 
and they won't believe Jesus. And you know what happens? We can quickly get frustrated. We can think, is this really worth prioritizing the purposes of God? They're not going to respond. If I'm going to prepare and preach my guts out, if I'm going to live rightly before God and nobody sees my example of godliness and is drawn to Jesus and there's no response, is it really worth prioritizing the purposes of God? Nobody's going to respond. Matthew 13, 1 through 9 says this. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd sat on the beach and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. Immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Here's my question. This is an argument from silence. I get that. What if the sower, after tossing the seed on the hard soil, the rocky soil, where it was thorny, said, you know what? If nothing's going to grow, then I'm just going to quit. He would have never saw his crop grow. He would have never gotten to the good soil where the seed took and things grew. If he bailed out because it was hard, he would have never gotten to see God bear fruit. So if you're in here and you have just been exhausted by pursuing godliness and obeying Jesus and, and speaking the gospel to people to no response, and it's hard. Keep going. The seeds that you're scattering will eventually fall on good soil, and God will bring growth. God will bring growth. So we find discouragement to pursue the purposes of God because of comparison, because of lack of response. And the second thing, or the third thing, is we find discouragement to pursue the purposes of God because of lack of reward of lack of reward. And specifically, I'm thinking this. We find discouragement to pursue the purposes of God because of lack of immediate reward. Lack of immediate reward. We think a lot like the psalmist in Psalm 73. God, I'm pursuing you. I'm doing what you want. I'm living right before you. I'm saying no to these things that all these people, all these goons that I go to school with are saying yes to. I'm saying no to that. I'm saying yes to things that they're saying no to. God, I'm doing what you want and I'm getting nothing for it. I'm getting nothing. Here's the deal. Prioritizing the purposes of God sometimes comes with an immediate reward. Sometimes you get to see the blessing of obedience immediately. Sometimes you don't. But the blessing of obedience always is in the future. There always is a future reward for your obedience. You have to play the long game. If you live for this life right now, you will find yourself disappointed and discouraged. If you fix your eyes on eternity, you'll have right perspective to keep living God's way and prioritizing God's purposes. So those are things that discourage us to prioritize God's purposes. So the question that we put on the table in the beginning, how do we stay motivated to prioritize the purposes of God 
when the outcome doesn't look like we want it to go or not like we thought it would. The first thing we find in verse 4, look back at the text in Haggai 2. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, here's the reason, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you, when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. The first thing that motivates us out of discouragement to continue to pursue the purposes of God is God's presence with us. God's presence with us motivates us to continue to pursue the purposes of God. Here's the good news for us. God will never call you to do something that he will not go with you to do. God promises his presence for his people. And when he calls you to do something, he will go with you to do it. You see this all throughout the scriptures, specifically Joshua 1, 9. Joshua has now taken over leadership of the Lord's people. Moses, peace out. Joshua, you got it. We're about to go into the promised land. Joshua's like, wait, what? We're going to go over there? Yeah, yeah, you're going to go over there. Joshua 1, 9 says this. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. Why, God? Why should I not be frightened? Why should I not be dismayed? For the Lord, your God, is with you wherever you go. You have what it takes, Joshua, to go over there in the place that seems terrifying to you. You have what it takes to go and do, God, Joshua, what I have called you to do. Why, God, how? Jesus, to his disciples, right before he ascends into heaven, gathers them together, and he says in Matthew 28, hey, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you. Can you imagine being a disciple in that moment? Hey, uh, guys, gather in. All right, huddle up. Okay, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. I'm the man. Okay, uh, go and make disciples. Where do you want us to do that, Jesus? Everywhere on the planet. Okay, uh, what do you want us to do? Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Good, we can do that. I want you to teach them to obey everything that I've told you. Okay. Can you imagine that, like, they're all looking at each other like, okay, um, did anybody take notes for these past three years? How are we going to do this, Jesus? I'm going to be with you. The very end of the age. What gives us encouragement? Keep going. Keep prioritizing God's purposes, even when it's difficult. God's presence with us. God's presence with us. Why is God's presence with us motivating to us? Because it strengthens us. Number two, it protects us. Exodus 19, God speaks to the people and he says, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings. And brought you to myself. God's saying to the people of of Israel. Hey don't you remember how I saved you? The kingdom of kingdoms was chasing you down. It was not going to go well for you. And then I came in. I was like a mama bird. And I swooped you up. I protected you. So listen to me, if God is calling you to do something and it might seem huge, it might seem small, I don't know, but you might be terrified as a result of it. And you're like, okay, so it's stressful to me. I'm having a little bit of anxiety. 
I don't know if I can prioritize the purposes of God. I'm discouraged because nobody's really with me. I'm just terrified. Here's the hope that you have. God is with you where he calls you to go. So go do it. Go do it. And finally, what, what's motivating about God's presence with us? It's the best reward. It's the best reward. Think about this, the people in Haggai. We're discouraged. This temple, man, it's not going to be as good as Solomon's temple. It's almost like God would lean down and say to them, hey, I told you to rebuild the temple, but the temple is not really about the temple. The temple is just a place for me to prove that I want to dwell with you. The temple is just a picture to remind you I am the God who desires to dwell with this people. That's all the more true. Because we don't have a physical temple. There's a building somewhere over there. If you're a believer in Christ, you are the temple. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 and 20 says this. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. The greatest message on the planet is that God sent his son to dwell with us, to live among us, to live the life that you and I couldn't, to die the death that you and I were supposed to, to rise from the dead so that you and I could have a relationship with God. Because you know why? Because God desires to dwell with us. And he's made the way for that to happen. You can stay motivated to pursue God's purposes because God goes with you. His presence is with us. The second reason that we can stay motivated prioritize God's purposes, we see in verse 6. Look back at Haggai chapter 2, verse 6. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all the nations shall come in and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And the places, in the place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. In verses 6, through eight, it's almost like God's looking at these people and it's like, you're stressed out about what, like, like the decorations of the temple. Don't you know, like, I'm God. I'm about to shake all the nations and all this money's gonna come in. I own all the silver. I own all the gold. I'll take care of the temple. Don't you worry about it. I'm going to come through. I'm going to come through. So what's the second reason that keeps us motivated to pursue God's purposes even when it's hard? The hope of God's promises to us. The hope of God's promises to us. God promises people he's going to take care of the temple. Well, how does thinking about God's promises for the future keep us motivated to prioritize God's purposes? Because it gives us confidence. God has always come through on every previous promise. Why would he stop doing so now? We think that God is going to alter how he works with us. Hey, God, I know that you've always been faithful. I'm just curious if you're going to keep being faithful to me. As if, as if we're the person that God's like, look, I'm going to have to deviate like my whole person. because God will be faithful because who he is to keep his promise. How else does thinking about God's promises in the future keep us motivated to prioritize his purposes? Not only does it give us confidence, but it gives us perspective. 
it gives these people perspective. Look back at verse nine. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. He's not talking about the physical temple that they're building. He's gone way ahead of them now. He's saying to them, you are a part of something far larger than yourself at this point in the game. You're going to build this temple. That's all well and good. That's the obedient thing to do. But listen to me, the temple that you are building only points to something that's in heaven that will one day will meet earth in the new heavens and the new earth in the new Jerusalem when God will perfectly dwell with men as we were in the garden. That's what's happening here. It gives them perspective. They say this is far larger than us. We are matter what we think that it looks like. This has way more to do with God than it has to do with us. So for you, God might be calling you something that seems small, that seems insignificant, that seems like you'll never get any glory for it. But as you walk in obedience to God, you are always a part of something way bigger than yourself. And it does not matter the size of your role. It just matters that you stay obedient to your goal. Trusting that this has way more to do with God than it has to do with you. So it's one thing to say, let's get the right priorities. It's another thing to say, how do we keep the right priorities? And we go back and we're discouraged because everybody's living like this and I'm trying to live like this. And it's just hard. God's presence with us promises to us. Keep our eyes fixed on God's priorities.